This is Other Voices. We're listening to varied views from local people who might otherwise not be heard. I'm Melissa Hale Spencer, editor of the Altamont Enterprise, which focuses on Albany County, New York. You can reach me at mhs at altamontenterprise.com. I'm talking to Janine Tzarczyk, who is proud of being a powerful woman. A 1999 Gilderland graduate, she was a state champion for shot put and discus and still holds the school records for those sports. She also holds memories of being mocked by boys on the team as she threw farther than they. At age 40, she was named last month world champion at the Scottish Masters Athletics International World Championships in Canada. Tzarczyk is using her fame to help strong women feel good about themselves through social media. So let's, can we just start at the beginning and hear a little about your life as I understand you grew up in Altamont, is that right? Yeah, so actually I lived in Westmere until the summer between third and fourth grade, which I think would have been uh, 88. And then we moved up the hill to Altamont. Um, and yeah, I lived there all the way through high school. My parents moved out of that house uh, just a couple years ago. Um, but yeah, grew up in Altamont, went to Altamont Elementary and then Farnsworth and then Gilderland High School. Yeah. So what were your parents like? Was it an athletic family that you grew up in? Were, were they competitive people or how, how, how was your childhood? <laughs> Not really. My mom has had a lot of really chronic health issues. And so my understanding is that she was pretty active when she was younger, but that wasn't really my experience with her when I was growing up. Um, and my dad, similarly, he's had some lifelong uh, heart issues. And so he, um, when he was a kid, he was, we found something, he was like, a, he participated in shooting sports when he was young. And we found something online when he was like 13, he was this like children's shooting champion for some, but as an, as a child growing up, that wasn't really the, um, I didn't have a lot of exposure to athletics through my family, my immediate family. Um, but I was, um, the street that I grew up on, there were a couple other families that had kids, um, there for a little while, there was one family that had a, another little girl. Um, but mostly it was, a, it was me and a bunch of boys. And so we would play football and pond hockey and basketball and, I was one of the older ones. And so I was always one of the taller ones. And so I, I definitely, I didn't get picked last. That's for sure. Um, and I was never, I, I wasn't super skilled, but I had a lot of, a lot of get up and go. Um, and I actually was a, a dancer for, for a long time. I did uh, ballet and tap for a couple of years. And then I started doing the Highland dancing. So that was actually my first exposure to the Highland games um, at the Capital District Scottish games when I was little, my family would go every year. And when I was maybe like eight years old, my mom asked me if I'd like to try doing either the Scottish dancing or the Irish dancing. Um, cause we have both that heritage of both of those on my mom's side. Um, and I picked the Scottish dancing. So I did that for, uh, quite a few years. Um, I might've been a little bit younger cause I did it for about seven years all the way through like eighth grade or so. So, yeah. So this Scottish thread that runs through, is that how you mm -hmm. started throwing or what what started you with going from dancing, which I understand can be competitive and is certainly athletic, but it's very different than what you've ended up with? 
Yeah, so the the Highland dancing is very competitive. I competed in multiple dance competitions throughout the year all over the Northeast, um, including the Capital District Games there, Labor Day weekend um, on the fairgrounds in Altamont. Um, and there's multiple dances that you'll compete in and you win medals and trophies and things. So it's, it's a very, it's absolutely a competitive dance form. Um, but actually when I was in eighth grade, um, I wanted to do something that people had heard of <laughs> like a sport that people had heard of, but a couple of my dance, uh, school friends had, were doing soccer or something and had gotten injured. Do, and and in my head, somehow I associated them getting hurt and running. And so I wanted to do something that people had heard of, but that didn't involve running. <laughs> and so the sport was you could throw shot put and discus when I was in eighth grade and not have to run. So that's actually because it's actually because of the dancing that I actually started throwing. And I mean, I had no idea at that point that, you know, so many a couple decades in the future, it would come full circle. And I'd find myself competing at the capital district Scottish games again, as a, as a heavy athlete in the, in the throws, like it's really, it's really neat how, how things have, things have come around. Yeah. Well, you've made them come around, but tell us, so you're an eighth grader, you're at Farnsworth middle school. You've decided to do the sport people have heard of, which still is kind of a, a very specialized (laughs) thing. Who coached you? How did you become so very good at it? Oh gosh, I don't even, I don't remember who coached me in middle school. And I, I, I did okay in middle school, you know, in eighth grade, but I wasn't, I, I like, I probably placed top eight at some of the track meets, but I don't really have any memories of being especially standout probably until my sophomore year. Um, my freshman year of high school, I think I threw shot put maybe 27 feet and discus about 70 feet. And those, those numbers are not by not by any they're they're not awful but they're not nobody's nobody's gonna recruit you know a kid that's throwing those numbers for to throw in college um and uh my sophomore year um during outdoor track I started working with a private coach and so I actually started throwing um year round starting in 10th grade so I started that spring my sophomore year and went all that summer all the next year all the way through my senior year and so I had some really good coaches. I mean, coach Dan Penna, that's still coaching the, the girls team at Gilderland, um, the throwers there. He, I think he got, he was there either my junior or my senior year. I can't remember when he first started teaching and coaching there. Um, but he's, he's done a really good job, uh, continue to do a really good job with the, the girls team. Um, but I, I think what really was super helpful for me is that I was, I was consistent with it and I, I worked really hard and, throughout the whole, the whole year, um, you know, not just during indoor and outdoor track. I really, I gave, I put a lot into it on my own outside of the, the school practices. And, and one, one point that I do want to make associated with that is like, you know, like I've, I've gone on, I've been, I've been a college track coach and I've been involved in, um, in sports, um, you know, from a coaching side of things and kind of from an administrative side. And, um, one of the things that I think was really important for me is that, my year round involvement was really, it was intrinsically motivated by, by me. I, my parents didn't push me to do year round sports. And I think that that's, that's, um, that's a bit of a misstep that I see. I hear a lot of from youth now that are involved in sports is there are a lot of adults that push them to do club sports and do stuff year round. And when it comes from the kid themselves, that's interested in it, that's fantastic. But early sports specialization, that's really driven by the adults. That's, I, 
yeah, I'm, I'm not 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 a fan. It's not good for the kids. Interesting. In so you make a distinction now as a coach between kids that are intrinsically motivated as you were and those who have parents that are saying, you know, do this. Looks good on your college resume, whatever. Right. Yeah. Wow. Parents and coaches even like uh, there are a lot of my understanding is that there are a lot of coaches either in the schools or, you know, in the clubs club sports scene that are really pushing for kids to do the year round stuff. And they, you know, some kids will have, you know, maybe even some negative consequences of like having to ride the bench if they're not doing this stuff all year round. And it's really, it, it's, it's really sad because it really comes from people who are focused on short-term gains and don't really have the kids long-term best interest at heart. Or, I mean, they may, they may think that they're doing something that's beneficial for the kid, but um, the, you know, the, the, the evidence points to, you know, you got to really look to what the kid it wants to do, what the kid's motivated to do. So go back yeah. to your 17-year-old self, if you can, for a minute. And what, sure. what gave you that drive, that intrinsic drive that came from within? Because that's a lot to, to do year-round and to <laughs> excel at it. So, I mean, is yeah. it... That's a really good question that I have thought a lot about this over the years, about what what drives me and what has driven me over the years. And I think, you know, from a on the on the positive side, throwing has always been like the sensation of throwing is is pleasurable to me. Like I like throwing stuff, you know, I like and, and part of why I love the Highland Games because they throw all these different events um, and it's, it's fun. Um, I, I like performing about, you know, with the dancing, I played the flute, I played the violin for a few years. I was in choir for a few years. You know, I, I enjoy performing as well. And there's definitely a certain aspect of that, um, you know, throughout my athletic career. Um, but you know, on, on kind of a, on more of a, a sad, sadder side of it, I think that, um, I was really trying to find my identity in performance, whether it was in school or in athletics and, um, and it was, and throwing was a place where I stood out. Um, like we, you know, Gilderland in general, if, in my experience, hasn't had a lot of really massively standout athletes. Like there's been a handful over the years, but it's like Gilderland's not necessarily known as this massive athletic powerhouse that just, you know, produces, you know, year after year after year, these high level athletic performers across the board. And so um, that it was, it was a place where I could stand out and, and also something that, um, you know, I've, I've learned much later in life. Uh, um, I, I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was like 39, I think. And, um, and so it was, it was again, like, you know, you, you have throw after throw after throw it's, it's novel. And it, there's like that little, a little bit of a dopamine hit. I'd say every time you get a throw, take a throw. And every time there's a good throw, especially like, it's like, oh, that's awesome. And so you're, it's, it, it's not addictive, but it, I think it's kind of that feel of like, oh, I had that good throw. So I'm going to keep on working to try to capture that feel again of having like another good throw. Um, and then, I mean, it's fun to win. And like, <laughs> you know, like I, like I said, my, my freshman year, I didn't really stand out very much. My sophomore year, I was, you know, I didn't, I think I may, I, I was varsity my freshman year, but that's, again, we didn't have like this huge, deep squad of throwers. Um, and then, you know, and then I got pretty good my, my sophomore year. Um, and I, I can't remember if I set, if I broke the school records my sophomore year for it was my junior year. Um, but I think I ended up improving the school records, like the school record in shot by like six feet or more by the time I was done with school. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was something like 34 feet when I, when I, when I was before I started throwing. 
Um, and similarly with discus, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I broke it my junior year and my PR, my junior year was like 134 feet, four inches. Not that I remember my marks. And, um, and I was winning, I won, I won meets, you know, my, my junior year and I made it to States. I finished second in discus my, my junior year, um, to Shea Williams from Saratoga, who went on to be, you know, an all American in, in the discus in college at Penn state. Um, so so, yeah. Yeah. Well, I can just Winning hear the enthusiasm. It's palpable. And one thing yeah. that you mentioned in passing really interested me, this idea of performance, because mm-hmm. um, especially at the Scottish Games, there's so many people there just watching because it's such an unusual thing. And we don't usually mm-hmm. think of athletics that way. Just tell me a little about, I mean, you're aware of the crowd as you're doing this and especially like how does performance play into that yeah absolutely and i would say um i i kind of i quip often with the highland games that we're we're like half athletes we're half performers like we're the so the the highland games is an umbrella term for all of the competitions that go on at these festivals so it includes the bagpipe and drum competitions that either either individual or small group or the band competitions the highland dancing competitions which is what i did growing up and then what we do is called the heavy athletics but most people when you talk about doing most most of us say you know i yeah i compete in the highland games and with when us we know that we're technically the heavy athletics but the the everybody gets what you mean when you say Highland Games. Um, and uh, we, I would say the the heavy athletics, you know, at, at these, well, you know, if you've been to the games, the festivals have, you know, there's the the beer tent and the whiskey tastings and the, the sheep dog herding displays and the kids events and the, all these different, you know, all the vendors and everything. Um, and, but the, the heavy athletics are often one of the biggest draws, I would say, at a lot of these festivals, at least to, people want to show up and see you do the caber toss, you know, midday. It's usually it's usually around the middle of the day, a little bit after lunch, you know, people have, have enjoyed the, enjoyed themselves fully and they, they come out and especially they do a really great job at the at the Capital District Games there of the, timing the caber toss. It is right after lunch. The athletic field is right next to the beer tent. And the, they've got bleachers set up all around the field. And it's just, it's absolutely packed. And so, so and, and to answer, you know, the question that you asked to kind of start this all off. Yeah, I'm absolutely aware of the crowd. And, um, and whereas when I was younger, when I was in high school, like starting my, my senior year, um, I got, I would get really, really nervous at athletic competitions because um, so much of my identity was tied to my performance. And I think ultimately I was really, I was worried that people weren't going to like me if I wasn't a good athlete, if I didn't throw far, it took me a really long time to figure out what the top, what was connected there in my head. Um, but now um, like, I know people, people have no concept of how good you are when you're throwing that in the heavy athletics and to a certain extent men women children like they're just impressed that you're taking a tree trunk you're picking it up you're running down the field and you're able to like even try to flip it like just like literally just being on the field is an accomplishment and impressive to most of the people and then you know sometimes we'll take like the heavy weight 
And for open women, um, it's a 28 pound weight. And you take it, you say, hey, does anybody want to feel how heavy it is? And let them like lift it. And they, they like, they may have just seen me, you know, clear a bar 16 feet up in the air. And it may, I, you know, I get comments on some of my videos on social media of like, oh, that looks easy. Oh, I could do that. But so often on the field, I'm like, hey, you want to feel how, and I like, I hold it out like with my arm almost straight to make it look even lighter. And then they'll have it and they're like, oh my gosh, it's so heavy. Like they really have no concept for how, how challenging it is, especially when someone is a really proficient thrower, whether it's me or somebody else, you know, cause you, you make it look easy when you're good at it. Yeah, you and do. I've seen it. Easy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, so you compete all over the country. Tell us what that's like. And also just specifically what that competition was like where you ended up as the world champion. I mean, just if walk us absolutely. through what that experience was like. Yeah, absolutely. So um, there, to give kind of some some context and some background on this, the the heavy athletics is not. It's very different from the track and field world. It's it's similar in a lot of ways, but one of the ways that it's very different from the track and field world is there's no real single governing body internationally or nationally it's the events are typically um, run and organized by people affiliated with regional throwing groups so here in ohio we have a group out of columbus called the great lake scottish athletes association um, and they run the they like they just started doing the ohio scottish games up here in cleveland but they do a bunch in columbus there's a group in buffalo um, there's one out like on the west coast that does a lot like from um from like California all the way up to Alaska. Um, there's this uh, one in the South called SHAG, uh, the acronym is SHAG. Um, so like you, I, I travel around because I do, I love throwing so much. And I, um, because my, my social media has really taken off um, and given me the opportunity to really be able to afford to travel um, so much like I, I do travel a lot. I travel just about as much as I, as much as I can handle uh, this year, especially. Um, I've traveled quite a bit, uh, and the, the Highland games world is the Highland games family is relatively small. Like there are probably only a couple thousand people that compete in the games annually. Um, you know, probably internationally, probably only a couple thousand, like less than 10,000 people, definitely less than 10,000 people that compete, um, internationally, I would say, um, it's hard to say because we don't have like one set database to track results. So this is like my best estimate, right? Um, and a lot of, a lot of athletes are on social media. There's a, a North American Scottish, uh, games association group on Facebook. That's got a couple thousand people in it and people will post events in there and different things related to the games. And so, um, over the years, uh, this is my sixth year competing in the heavy athletics over the years through social media, I've connected with a lot of other throwers all around the country and gotten to be friends with people who you know, I had never met until I was, you know, we went out to flew out to Oregon and through at the McMinnville Scotch Festival, for example. Um, and so that's like a big part of the sport that I think nearly everybody that participates in the sport will tell you that a huge part of it is that that family environment. And I think a lot of us, um, I think an idea that would resonate with a lot of heavy athletes is a lot of us feel kind of like outsiders, black sheep were like a little bit 
we're a little, you know, left of left of the we're a little out, you know, not only say we're abnormal, but we're not all like totally normal. And we found this like community, kind of this community of misfits and and people that we connect with, like other people that have this this common interest that like we go lift heavy weights and we go put on kilts and throw rocks and sticks and stuff in a field you know like you know so so it's really it's it's a really neat community to have together so so yeah so i i love traveling um all around uh all around the country and and you know and and sports has always been not just sports but the dance as well um because of the competitions that i've done through the highland dancing and then track and field and now in the heavy athletics it has been a reason for me to travel and i i've always loved that about competition you know um i went to a d1 school for undergrad and through through there and we and that allowed me to travel all over the place and go places that i never would have gone otherwise and like even now um you know, I went, I flew out to Alaska with my son last summer and competed out there. And it was, you know, I don't know if I would have just taken a vacation to Alaska if I didn't have, you know, okay, we're going to go out for the Highland Games. So that's the reason to go out to that, you know, out there. And then we did also did a vacation. Um, so yeah, so I, so I, I love that. I love that aspect of, of Highland Games and the, and competing and whatnot. Um, and yeah, Moncton, Moncton, New Brunswick for the Masters World Championships. So um, I mentioned earlier for open women, that is uh, it, within ath- heavy athletics, just like in most sports, we have age divisions. There's different ways to um, uh, make the competition equitable. So um, we have sometimes you'll have a lightweight class, which for women is either under 100 pounds, 150 or 155 pounds. I think for men, I think it's under 210 pounds. You can compete as a lightweight athlete. Um, open class is all ages. Masters is 40 and over. Um, youth, I think it just, I think it just is. I think it's now under 20 or 20 and under. See, this is part of the thing of not having a single governing body. Is you'll find some variation regionally and whatnot. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so Masters World Championships, um, it's for athletes 40 and over, men and women. Uh, they also have lightweight Masters. Um, and on the men's side, they might have a couple, they might have more than one age division within the lightweight class. I think for women, it's just lightweight Masters, just one class. Class is what we call like our, our competitive group. Um, and so, and, and for the non-lightweight master's classes, we go by five-year increments. Um, and uh, the, to qualify to go to master's worlds, you have to hit a qualifying mark in, in these, in certain, in, I think in nearly all of the events are, there's like, you know, the stones, one mark in the stones, one in the weights, one's in the hammers, and then one in weight over bar um, in order to be able to apply and go. And then it's whoever, whoever can afford, you know, afford to go pay their way out there and get to the competition, get to go and throw. And this year, there was, I think it's a combination of the, of COVID people, fewer people working because of COVID. And then now more people wanting to travel um, as, as time has gone on has meant that flying can kind of be a disaster sometimes. And there were a lot of people who had flights canceled or luggage loss. I mean, there was, I know at least one person that was supposed to fly up from Florida and his flight got canceled and he wasn't able to get rebooked in time to be able to even make it there for the competition. So I actually, I actually drove out there and I, 
that was a it's that's about as far as I'll drive you know to go and I, I stopped I stopped in Albany on the way and, and stayed at my brother's house um one night on the way up there but I mean I was so glad that I that I ended up driving because I didn't have to worry about my luggage I, I had everything with me that I needed and I didn't have to depend on you know a flight on an airline or anything to get out there um and uh and and yeah as far as the competition itself um as as a bit of a fluke because of the timing of the event even though i'm still only 40 this is my second masters world championship i competed two weeks after i turned 40 um last november um down in austin texas and um two weeks before that i had had a really great competition on on my birthday actually i i entered i found a games where i could throw on my 40th birthday which is not always common because my birthday was on a Sunday. And so I had to find a two day games where masters women happened to be on the Sunday. Uh, but I wanted to get a competition in where I would throw the lighter weight that the masters women throw instead of throwing a 28 pound heavy weight, we throw a 21 pound weight. And I wanted to get a competition in where I could see with competition day adrenaline, how my body would respond to the lighter weight because of the timing and everything changes. And I had an absolutely fantastic day that day on my birthday, uh, particularly in the weight over bar, come to find out a couple months later, I actually set the world record in the standing women, you know, masters women's weight over bar. Um, some people spin to throw it, uh, but the standing record I currently have at 20 feet. And so then, you know, I was all gung ho. I knew it was going to be a really tough competition to go into masters worlds in two weeks. And I, I, I thought that if, if a number of things were going to have to go my way, but I thought I had a decent shot at actually winning the title. Like it was a bit of a long shot, but you know, I was like, you know, things go my way and you never know what's going to happen on the day of competition. And then the first event of the day was the weight over bar. Um, and I could only clear 17 feet, my opening height. When we got to 18 feet, I just, I had, uh, we say you had the height. It's like the worst thing to hear for the sheaf toss and for the weight over bar. You had the height, which means you uh, can throw it high enough, but you can't get it lined up over the bar. And so I, I was, I had three misses at 18 feet. And that was, and I had a really hard time rebounding from that. Then we went to the caber toss and it was early. We were in the morning session. The cabers were shellacked and they were damp. And there were only two women in our age group that were able to actually turn the caber. Um, and so that felt like another blow, like two blows in a row. And then something else happened on the next, the next event. And I, and, and it, it was almost like a flashback to like in high school, like the nerves. I, I didn't feel like myself. I, if people, if people were watching me, they would have seen like, I was not my normal, like jovial, like loose, relaxed self. Like you, you could tell things were off. And so, um, and, and, you know, since then I've, I've come to realize, uh, I, I've always had a tendency in especially in the, in the throwing events where things are so quantitative right you have these you know i know my i have a spreadsheet i'm a nerd i have a google sheet where i track all my results for every games and so i have all of the like the feet and inches and fractions of inches for every event that i've thrown in the highland games every throwing discipline on every event right um and so i i've had this tendency to um, assume that past performance is predictive of how somebody's going to perform on the day of competition, both for other athletes and also for myself. So there have been times where I, I've written myself off because I'm throwing against somebody who historically has performed better than me or beat me at other competitions. And um, it, I, when, that, when I had that experience at Masters Worlds in November, um, 
I really, I, I took a step back and I, I realized what was happening. And, and as much as I'd been telling myself, you know, like I do this because it's fun and I don't care what the outcome is. Um, I realized that I wasn't really living that out. I wasn't really embodying that when I got on the field, you know, because like the, the proof is in the pudding. I, I wouldn't have been nervous. I wouldn't behave the way that I did if I truly was able to rebound and, and, and not care like I, I wanted to. Um, and so, you know, after that, I had a very short off season. Um, I, it was like the first, that was the first weekend in November. And then my next competition was the first weekend in January, um, but of this year. And so, but all this year, I've really tried to go into every games really believing in myself that I am doing the absolute best that I can and whatever happens happens and you know it's not nothing nothing is promised to me or anyone that I'm throwing against on the day of competition like you have to everybody's got to earn it with what they throw on the day and so I you know I practice that mentally like the mental side of sports is is absolutely huge I think I don't think we pay enough attention to it in general um in, in general in sports um so so then when I got to Masters Worlds um last month um uh I started off and I had I had a fantastic two events like I heavy we did heavy hammer and then light hammer and I set a personal record in the light hammer which I mean it was like a three-year-old personal record it was my oldest personal record was the light hammer and I broke it by like two feet or something so that was like a fantastic way and I want to start off the games and I won the first two events and um then we went to the heavyweight for distance and i have i don't know if it still is but at that i think at that point i had the farthest throw as far as i know in the world for masters women in the heavyweight for distance at like almost 60 feet and the best i could do was like 47 two so i like very very far under what i'm capable of throwing and it, just, it had been like a couple weeks before that that i had set that pr so it wasn't like i did it way earlier in the year and like i'd been you know hadn't recaptured like a couple weeks before, before that and i finished third and uh the women that finished ahead of me threw like 48 feet and 49 feet and so like they absolutely earned their position in that event but in my head like if i had had the same mindset that i had had the previous championship that would have absolutely crushed me and i think i would have had a really hard time coming back from that and i really was just like you know what it is what it is i i did the best that i could for what who knows why it went this way who knows what my timing might have been off May, who who knows i have no reason i can't figure it out uh, i'm just going to go on and do my best the rest of the competition and and you know we'll we'll see hopefully i'll continue to do well and i'll finish on top but who knows maybe it won't happen <laughs> and then i went on to the lightweight for distance and i won the event and i threw over 70 feet and and you know for every event i kind of have a because i throw so often and it is impossible to hit a personal record every competition in every event i kind of have the an idea for each event like if i'm in, within this range of my pr within a certain number of feet of my pr i'm happy i feel like that was a success and for me throwing you know over 70 feet over 69 feet that's pretty successful for me for the lightweight for distance and i think i went like 72 feet and won the event and and like from that point on like completing that event and seeing you know kind of checking in on how my body felt and i like i didn't i didn't get the nerves i didn't have the anxiety that i've so often had as a result of having you know a, a performance not meeting my own expectations that i was like we're we're all we're good like that finished day one and when we came back the next day like i 
I won the first event and I won, I won the rest of the events that we had in the competition and, um, and was able to have fun and, and, you know, be myself and stay loose and, you know, entertain the crowd and support, you know, the other athletes out there on the field. And so, so yeah, so I, I, as incredibly proud as I am of winning a world championship, because that's, you know, no, no one can take that away from me like that, that, you know, records are going to be broken. Um, you know, even though I have that world record right now, like guarantee, like records are meant to be broken. Right. It sounds, you know, a little cliche, but like, it's, it's true, but forever and ever, I'm going to be the 2022 masters world champion in the heavy athletics for women, 40 to 44. Um, so, <laughs> um, so I kind of, I laugh because like, it's a, it's, it's a very, like very specific thing, but like, but yeah, you can't, you, no one can take that away. So, well, yeah, to be the best in the world is, is something. Just one thing you mentioned in passing was how your social media has taken off and that's allowed you to do all this. So just tell us a little bit about that aspect of it. And also if you could maybe weave into that, cause it seems to me, you must really be a role model for a lot of girls that, you know, don't often think of themselves as that competitive and successful Mm -hmm. yeah um yeah so i have you know i'm i'm old enough that i was able to sign up for facebook when you needed to have a dot edu email address you know when it was still very limited um and uh and then in like 2018 i think um well i joined i was on instagram already like i got on there relatively early and then i created like an athlete page on Facebook in like 2018 um, and then got on TikTok during the pandemic, got on TikTok and like the, for, for several months, probably six months of being on TikTok, like I definitely didn't have very like good content. Like it was fine. I was like just doing my thing, but I was really viewing it as like kind of like Instagram and kind of like Facebook of just like, Hey, I'm posting stuff about myself and I didn't really, and I didn't really have anything go viral or go big until like August. And then I had, I had one video that got something like, like 850,000 views, like huge for me. Right. And, and then things just kind of, what was that? What was that video? What was the first viral? It was me throwing the hammer, the heavy, the, the Highland, Highland games. And I put, I put it to like, bagpipe music of Scotland the Brave and I put text on the top of the screen that was like all the results under all the videos or something under uh, hashtag Highland Games are of men and then the next screen the next thing of text was replaced with like let's show let's show them that you know women compete something something about like I was like trying to tap into the like some of the social not really social justice side but some of that sentiment of like yeah yay women in sports kind of thing <laughs> and and it it it, it 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 worked it blew up <laughs> well yeah it's really I mean, cool i people yeah. are looking for that people are looking for heroines not just heroes you know and to right? have somebody yeah, yeah and I, I i think too like i i experienced really strong quick growth for the for the next about a year and a half things have really slowed down and I think part of it is that part of why I grew really quickly 
and also consequently why things have slowed down for me on TikTok are kind of tied to the same same thing. But I don't really TikTok is a big mystery. Like I have other friends that are have bigger accounts than I have and we are constantly trying to analyze it and it's like it's inscrutable. Like there's and we don't get information from TikTok and how things work. Like we're all trying to figure it out too. But uh I think that I I hit when it was when it was good in that the there weren't a lot of other Highland Games athletes on TikTok. And there are quite a few that are on there now. And so I think that I really tapped into this like novelty, right? Like that people, it was something people had never seen. A lot of people had never seen before. Um, and and that, that experience on TikTok, oh, and then consequently now TikTok is like really saturated in general, as well as with Highland Games. I don't wanna say it's saturated with Highland Games athletes, but I'm no longer this novelty. So when a video of me throwing comes across someone's for you page, I'm not, probably not the first time they've seen someone throw. And so it's not necessarily going to prompt them to go check out my page and then end up following me or whatever. Um, so, but, so that experience, the experience that I've had on TikTok, you know, and, and my, I would say that my, my video editing skills have dramatically improved through trial and error. Like I'm, you know, learn, learn how to edit videos and put them to music and do, do all these things. Like, so my, my content, I would say in general is much more sophisticated now than it was when I first got on TikTok. And also being on the like content creation side of social media and viewing it from that perspective of like a business. Like, I think, I think one thing that some people don't, people that are newer to TikTok that are making videos it's something that they i think that it takes a little while for people to grasp is that it is different from instagram and it's different from facebook you know facebook i think people are creating the, the average person is putting stuff on facebook to connect with other people that they all already know in their lives so they're they're almost like marketing to their content what they're putting out there their videos and their pictures to people that already know them that are already invested instagram is like that but because of the way the feed works, you're also more likely to get people that have no connection with you that are gonna see your content. And so I think people on Instagram, it's still like, for most people, this is my life. This is, you know, it's a lot of the same visual content that people would put on Facebook, but with a little bit more of an eye to sending, hopefully getting it sent out to other people. TikTok is, is more like you, short form YouTube than it is like Instagram or Facebook. Like, yeah, to a certain extent, there are people who are connected with people in their real life. Like I'm certainly connected with people that I know in real life, but it's, it's, a, it's a very different medium um, in that way. And I, I think it takes, like I was saying, I think it takes some people a little bit of time to grasp how, how it is different from some of the other forms of social media. Um, and so, yeah, so I mentioned, you know, being on TikTok and, you know, how the growth that I've experienced, what I've had there has really changed the way that I view and utilize my social media. Like, I don't really use my personal Facebook page very much to interact with people. Um, Facebook is also the way that Facebook is using Facebook has dramatically changed over the 17 years that I've been on it, which is the longest relationship I've had with anything I think about in my life, other than like my parents and my family. Um, but uh, um, uh, because I'm really look at, looking at it and realizing like all these forms of social media, like what their their product is people's attention and their 
they make money and that's their goal now. Like their, their companies, right? Like it's not this altruistic, we're here to help people connect with each other. They're there to hold people's attention so that they can market that to advertisers so that that, and that's how they make their money of people promoting their posts and whatnot or companies paying for, to promote their, their posts and whatnot. Um, and so I think that's gotten me a little bit jaded about how I use my personal Facebook page. And I, you know, I'm much more focused on connecting with people in real life. And like, I, I'm, I still use Facebook very much to tap into the information that's out there about the Highland games community. Cause like I mentioned, there's all these regional groups and they, they all have, typically they have Facebook pages and you can find out about events when entry forms are open. A lot of that stuff I get off of from Facebook. Um, but over the last, uh, the last year and a half, I would say, especially I, the way that I view my TikTok page, and then it's, it's altered the way that I use my Instagram page as well. That page, it, it's very much, I'm looking not as much at marketing my content, like marketing it. Like I'm not gearing, I'm not focused on an audience of Highland games athletes or people that I already know. I, cause, cause my goal is to, one of my goals is to help increase visibility of this very niche sport beyond just people that are already involved in the sport. And so that that influences the type of videos that I post and the captions that I'll put at the bottom of the video or the text that I'll put on the screen. Like I'm really thinking often like okay, somebody who has no experience with the Highland Games, what what information do they need? Like what will be the thing that will hook them in? Um and so it, there's that's a big part of why I do what I do on social media and then it's also you know, raising awareness that women participate in this sport. And then, you know, more, more broadly, you know, f- fighting the patriarchy and, you know, stereotypical gender norms. Like, um, I have a, a friend who I got to know through TikTok, who's, um, a, an, also a high level, uh, strength sport athlete. And, uh, we have a lot of followers in common. And one thing that I've found with, with both of us that really resonates with people who follow us is like, we're, you know, like we'll both post content where we're wearing makeup or we have no makeup on, you know, like I'll, I'll post stuff where I'm like, I like, I'm, I have no makeup on. I'm in my workout gear. Like, I'm just, I, I just like, I am who I am. Like, and I post stuff sometimes where I'm like dressed up, like for a formal dance or whatever. And I think what really resonates with people is like you to be like any, you, any woman, you can be an athlete. You don't have to all be all one thing or all another. Like we're my, my friend and I, like we just are ourselves. And part of that is that we're really strong women and we're really strong athletes and we're confident and we speak our minds and we're not going to take nonsense from people who want to give us a hard time about being that way. But also like we, we are whole people and we're not only athletes. And so, um, so that that's part of, part of what I do as well. And, and, um, and my kind of circling back to my Facebook page, which is actually my athlete page on Facebook is where I'm putting most of my energy now and have been this calendar year, because even though at the end of January, I only had like 450 followers on my athlete page on Facebook, I got invited to this Facebook reels bonus program. So reels are Facebook's version of trying to do TikTok. Like TikTok has had such astronomical success other forms of social media have come out with their version of the same kind of video so like youtube has shorts instagram has reels facebook has reels and so they're and their facebook is putting a, a significant amount of money behind it and so um i started posting i got invited to this program at the end of january and i was like 
okay, sure. Why not? I started posting a reel a day and the first month made like four figures and compared to what I had made in the creator fund, I think I made more in my first month in the Facebook Reels bonus program than I had in like a year and a half in the creator fund on TikTok. The payout on TikTok is awful. Back when I was still in it, it was something like two or three cents per thousand views. And they would like tally up however many views you get in a day and that would be your payout. And Facebook, the structure has changed even in the six months that I've been in the bonus program. But initially the payout was the lowest payout rate was like $1.30 per thousand views. So you can see like it's in magnitudes of difference there. And, um, and you know, my, my content seemed to really resonate with people. And I just hit 16,000 followers on my Facebook page and I've been posting a real a day and that the money that I've made off of that bonus program has allowed me to be able to basically do this full time. And so I have aspirations to like, I'm not just counting on Facebook reels, but you know, I'm looking at diversifying and doing other other things to bring in revenue, but really capitalize on the success that I've had on social media and the people that I've been able to reach. So, so yeah, that's a little bit more about oh, social media. That's, I'm happy to answer. I know yeah. that has just been fascinating, and it also it 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 follows through with your mission that you were talking about with gender stereotyping, yeah. because so often athletes are exploited by other people to make money and you're doing mm-hmm. it yourself as a woman, you know, um, creating yeah. the image you want of yourself out yes. there. And at the same time, getting paid for it enough for you to pursue your own career as an athlete. It's like a perfect role model for young women. So, I mean, I, I really appreciate you saying that. And I definitely, that's, you know, I, I've, my life has not been that hard grand scheme of things, but I, I've had a lot of things that I've, I've struggled with, you know, and for me to be in a place where, and it, you know, it was, it was, I don't know how I got, I don't know why I got invited to this bonus program, but to be basically like a professional athlete now at this point at 40 years old, like this is the dream that I had when I was a shot putting discus thrower in high school, you know, the dream was to go to the Olympics and be a professional thrower. And although like, I'm not earning my money simply from prize money at games, right? Like I'm, I'm winning my money from, you know, my engagement on social media. Like it's, 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 I feel, I feel so lucky. It's, and it's, it's awesome. But yeah, like speaking, speaking to a little bit more of your point about like me getting to create the image that I want to create, like, that's a huge challenge that faces, you know, women's sports in general is that there are not a lot of women in all the different levels within sports, what that in, you know, the video production and directing and, you know, the, the people at the, you know, the whatever media outlet that's selecting what content they're going to produce. And often female athletes are reduced down to, you know, one of a few tropes like that they're, you know, somebody's sister or mother or daughter, you know, in relation to a man typically, um, or they're, you know, the, the girl next door or, you know, talking about, you know, them being just talking about their like gender identity or sexual identity. And we're often not viewed and portrayed as, whole multidimensional people. And so, you know, I I think that that's something that I've had the opportunity to be able to do because I'm creating my own content and I'm editing it the way that I want to. And I can show, like, it it blows my mind still the people that are like, oh, women's sports aren't entertaining. Like, are they not? Because like, I have 
multiple videos that have over a million views. And I have, you know, between the different platforms that I'm on, you know, over 150,000 followers that I think would argue with, you know, actually women's sports are entertaining. And a lot of it comes down to how they're, how they're edited, how they're produced, the quality and the type of the, you know, the color commentary that there is on, on, you know, on women's sports broadcasts, for example. And um, so, yeah, so I love that I'm able to do that. And, and something, you know, in the last couple of months that um, I think has drawn a lot of people to my content, specifically on Facebook, because I've been putting energy, like it was kind of a fluke. Like I had this one, one reel where I put a song uh, to it. That was like, it's um, I'm my mother's savage daughter is like the opening lyric to it. It's a cover of the song. And uh, it's original. It's like originally written by um, uh, a woman of like Norse heritage. And so it's about that. Like, it's not, it's not like indigenous savage, which some people, like some people get in my comments are like, this is, this is an indigenous song. And I'm like, uh, not the way you think it is. Um, but, uh, and I'm in there with my, like, you know, my buzzed hair and I'm throwing the heavyweight and it's a slowed down video. And I'm doing this like traditionally male sport. And a lot of people don't know women wear kilts and I'm wearing a kilt. And, um, I had something on the top, like, you know, you know, throw something with a women's weight, something like that. And I'm making a really intense face at, in the beginning frames of the video, because I'm about to throw a 21 pound weight, like 60 feet, you know, it's, it's from when I hit that PR. And so the number of like, I've, as long as I've been on social media and even in real life, I've gotten transphobic, misogynistic, sexist comments, like saying like, Oh, you're the number of times that I've been accused of being a man or being on like taking drugs or being a trans man or being a trans woman is just, it's, it's mind boggling. And, um, and often I will just delete a lot of those comments, but I mean, frankly, like I get more money when I get more engagement. And so on that one video in particular, sometimes with these people that were, I would, I replied back to like bring them back to the video and engage with, and what ended up happening, you know, well, let me, as an aside, like more context for this, right? Like so often when I'm responding to this transphobic, misogynistic, these sexist, homophobic comments that I get, when I respond to them publicly, my audience is not the person that's making those comments. My audience is the other women who have heard those comments their whole life, who've been told that there's something wrong with them because they don't fit stereotypical gender norms. And whether it's because they're an athlete or because they just happen to be tall or because they happen to have short hair, any, anything that you do that violates these stereotypical gender norms are going to get you pushback, you know, has been my experience. And, um, and so often the response that I get in real life or on these videos is like, oh, don't let it bother you. Ignore the trolls. Don't feed the trolls. And like, these are, these are, this is not just like a virtual digital experience that I'm having. This has been something that I've gotten in real life. And that kind of sentiment of like, because what's underlying it is like, you're wrong for being this way. Like that has real world implication and real world impact on women, the lives of women and girls, men as well. Cause like this, it affects all of us. Um, and so I think that what has really resonated with a lot of women and girls is they're seeing me respond to this and point out the flaws in the logic and not let it hurt my feelings. Like when people are like, Oh, don't let it bother you. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if they're thinking that it actually hurts my feelings. Like I, I have no problems I, I have chosen this look. Like I am confident in how I look. I'm confident 
in, in, you know, all, all of what I'm presenting. And I, I'm not, it, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. And I'm so glad that I'm in a place now where it doesn't give me a second thought. I don't have to take a beat when I hear a comment because like, I, like I, like I said, like I've been getting these comments for decades when I was a senior, maybe my senior year of high school at Gilderland during indoor track, the boys and the girls teams practiced together, the shot putters practiced together. And I remember, and, and I was, I was very, I was already a standout at this point. And, and a lot of the events I was throwing, my distances were beating what the guys were throwing, what some of the boys were throwing um, in discus. I think there was one, one boy who ended up throwing farther than me that year. And that was like a huge thing for him to have thrown farther than me in discus. But I remember, and we didn't have cable. I didn't know the reference, but one of the guys, I remember the guys jokingly calling me Janene. And I didn't, I didn't realize until college when I saw the show Martin that they were taking, you know, Martin, the, the, the lead character, the actor also portrayed this character called Shanene. And so it was, it was a man in drag and it was like a caricature of a black woman. It wasn't like a genuine portrayal of, you know, him as a black woman. And so they were calling me, you know, Janene and, you know, you can't see it now, but like I have, my natural hair is very, very curly. And I got bullied in school quite a bit because of my, because of the curly hair that I've had. And um, it's not uncommon that people will think that I'm, you know, biracial or mixed race because of my hair, or even that I'm like light skinned, uh, and, and black. Um, I've got, you know, especially when I've lived in very urban areas, uh, you know, I lived in New York city for a few years and whatnot. Um, and so, you know, when I was in high school, I didn't, I didn't know where it was coming from, but I knew it didn't feel good. If I knew it wasn't like a friendly name. And then when I, you know, later in college, I'm like, oh my gosh, they were, they were, they were making fun of me. And like, so there's some, you know, transphobia and probably some racism in there as well. Like making, making fun of me because I was a good thrower. Like, you know, that's, that's really what it came down to. And, you know, I, so many of my, my peers that are also strength sport athletes have experienced the very same thing. Um, and so, so yeah, so I, I think it's, it, it has really going back to what I, what the stuff that I post on Facebook, like I post a lot, you know, and sometimes I'm just like, I just get fired up. And so I, I'll make like a video reply or a com whatever reply in the comments or whatever, but that, um, I think more so than on the other forms of social media that I'm on that has really, really resonated with people. And I've had so many, so much positive feedback from women that have told me like how much this matters to them. Like they'll watch my videos with their like eight-year-old daughter. And like, I had one woman say, like, I, I think part of it is that women are feeling, some people are really feeling seen. Um, they're, you know, they, they see somebody like me who is unashamed of being strong and working hard at something that is not mainstream and not, you know, that I'm, I'm, throwing heavy stuff and throwing tree trunks and I'm yelling and I'm loud. I'm doing this traditionally, you know, male, male thing. Um, and like, I had one woman who, um, commented that she has a friend whose daughter was getting started in powerlifting. And the, the mom was like hesitant to support her daughter. Cause she was worried that she was going to get pushback for being too masculine. And this woman showed her friend, some of my videos. And she said, like, it really changed the mom's the mom had to change a heart and like she was excited to support her daughter in this new powerlifting career, you know? So like I get, yeah, I get stories like that all the time. And it's just, it's so, I like, I'm excited that I get to help add to this representation that's out there, but it also is so sad that there's such a lack of this representation out there, you know? So 